factors will also decrease, which is what we need to consider. And then as well as that, if we look talk about the, day, the everyday person, it could just be simple tasks in, in terms of we're just wasting away muscle. It could be something as simple as, you know, wanting to go for a walk daily or just trying to go up a, a steeper hill than usual or the usual hill that they used to do and they go back and do it and they struggle with it. It's, it's we're just talk, talking about mu muscle maintenance or just having some form of a strong like, muscle mass on us is so important for just doing everyday movements. And he's here. He is here. Cristiano has entered the building. Welcome back, guys, to another new episode of the Sculpted Podcast. Today, we have a very special guest with us, Reese Gonzalez. Um, Reese, please introduce yourself to us. <clears throat> no, thanks for that, Val. Yeah, um, so yeah, I'm yeah, Reese Gonzalez. I'm a performance nutritionist. Um, so currently working in professional football uh, with West Ham United in their academy setup and with the women's first team. Um, as well as that, I run my own private um, practice with general public, athletes, various sports kind of all over, semi-pro, amateur, all the way up to elite, um, as well as do some stuff with some corporate, um, corporate work, so corporate nutrition, just helping, you know, employers to uh, instill and, you know, educate their employees on, on better health and nutrition to kind of help their companies as well. So yeah, real, um, real, a real mix in there um, from me. Yeah, that's really interesting. Just quickly, Reese, I think that's um, honestly quite fascinating, and, and it aligns perfectly with sculpted and our message in in the fact that you're working with corporate people. I think typically when we think of nutrition and things like this, it is typically towards the sports aspect. Where I think that in all areas of life, nutrition being very crucial in many areas, but having it in business, it is really a 1% detail where it's, it might be that clarity of thought. It might be that execution and articulation just for that mental um, rehearsal, things like that, where, where nutrition really can have that impact. And I, I just found that really interesting that even the attention of detail can be translated through all areas of life, which again is perfect to why we have you on today. Yeah, hundred um, percent. That's something that um, I think is quite big and it's growing in that sense. Um, you can, kind of connect with people on personal level in, in terms of business. But as soon as you, you look at these ideas of, oh, okay, do you know what, how do we get them? We think about performance is, is performance. Yes. In elite athletes or in sport is, is one thing, but every day someone has to perform for something. So whether that is their, their daily job or, you know, just functioning and trying to do the best that they can do for, for their purpose. So then we think, well, okay, let's translate that into corporate work it is okay. So they need to be able to, you know, start the day strong, uh, limit illness, because if, if their employees are getting sick all the time, then then that, that restricts the business and that actually limits their potential. So if they can kind of keep everyone well, everyone feeling good, maybe provide the right nutrition and food sources inside of the business as well. Like a lot of companies offer you know, snacks, drinks, etc. So are they probably giving the best stuff to kind of help them and things that aren't going to make them feel heavy, tired, by the time it hits lunchtime and you get that afternoon lag is kind of what we try and help people to avoid so they kind of stay productive for the majority of the day uh, yeah that's really interesting i think that um i think that the real 
attention to detail of caring about the retention of even employees, making sure that, you know, every single day that they're there, it is very, very uh, related to football in itself because obviously as a footballer, you don't just ask your, your coach for a day off. If you do, you might not be able to ever train again. I know in, I've heard a few stories where players have asked for a day off and they've never been able to train again. Um, so it is really, it, it transcends into all aspects of life. And I think that only maybe in the top 1% of businesses can they even necessarily afford obsessing over that fight of detail, which is, again, really, really interesting to see how only at the top can people start caring about that if if they have the attention and the resources to do so. But I think that when you're at the top, it's much harder to stay there. And that's maybe one reason why when someone is at the top, they might find more of a need to attend to these finer details to make sure that they're going to stay there, which again is perfectly in line with what we are at Sculpted because we want everyone to be able to give their best version of themselves every single day. So by the end, you're left with this grand sculpture of yourself. No, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. That's it. It is, um, I think we're seeing, it's really good. We're seeing a lot more companies, even those that aren't necessarily, you know, the the top of their industry sort of thing that they could be almost like startup companies who are, you know, do well a few years in, but they still take kind of that, that care and privilege to their, to their employees. They, they want to look after them. So we are seeing it in, in these smaller companies, smaller firms as well, where they're like, oh, it's, it is something that they value, which is really great to see. So it's not necessarily just the big ones anymore, where you'll see, oh, look, they have the resources, they have the time and energy they can put into it, where we are seeing these, um, I say, employee-focused companies coming through this that newer generation, I suppose, where it's very people-first, you know, like the whole work from home, and there's more allowance of, of things and what they can do to kind of be more flexible. And it really buys into that. So it's actually really great to see this whole landscape of just all these professions buying into it and being like, oh, yeah, that's it. This, do you know what? Even if it's a come to a talk for us just so we can educate on certain topics or what they might notice is certain things that maybe is in winter. I've noticed a lot of people are dropping off sick. Or how can we prevent that? If just from little things to that, to, you know, the biggest stuff of, yeah, can you come and help build out a little bit of a plan for us? But it, it's great to see that it's kind of covering across the board now in, in total. So, yeah, it's really exciting. Pretty good. Yeah, very interesting. I think that that's a it's a good leeway into our, our next topic of discussing protein. And I think that for athletes specifically, it's definitely uh, something that we do really need to care about. Obviously, with Val and his background in the supplement industry, I think that discussing the importance of protein, not just in football, but even obviously with your background with the uh, corporate side, I think that's an interesting topic to even talk about because we don't just have footballers on. We have people from any background who are listening to this episode right now and understand the importance of protein. I know Val would say he would have a controversial take to protein and to the importance of that. So if um if Val or Ash want to have any questions around that and take us into the next kind of topic, that'd be, that'd be good for me, boys. First of all, I have uh, one quick thing. Um, could you maybe give the listeners or us even a more specific definition of what the differences are between a normal nutritionist and you already touched on the base performance, a performance nutritionist. What are the key roles or differences between those things? Because I often 
think, uh, or many people out there don't even know what the differences are between a performance nutritionist, what are their specific roles, what are they doing? Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. Um, so we normally see nutritionists kind of come through as if they if they're just nutritionists, it's more like the health route. So that it'll be human nutrition. It's it is the 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 basics of you know energy, macronutrients still get covered, micronutrients, but then maybe how that plays into adolescence, infancy, the elderly, like all these populations that make up everyday life, and it's basically allowing you to to be healthy, to function, to look after yourself, but without having to necessarily go into detail or concern yourself with, okay, you're you're trying to fuel yourself or, or just live as well as you're trying to perform at, at an optimal level in what, whatever that is. So whether that is sport, whether that's business, whether that's, you name it, there's there's so many different things. <clears throat> that's that's the main split so the main focus is is purely on on the on the health of that person so that like that we can help you so if we look at the performance nutritionist it is very much the same so we take all of that landscape that is always our foundation as well we look at the person first we look at their health we look at every lifestyle factor but then what we want to do is want to build on that by saying okay on top of that you don't just sit around you don't just do xyz you also train five days a week or you commute plus work plus travel plus fly regularly on like on a regular basis and therefore you we need to factor all this in so when it comes to that we've taken the health into account but we need to add on all these additional expenditures of energy of of what we're using our muscles for do we need to look into certain you know strategies or interventions that will help you to then perform at that level so again if we talk about football we talk about sport it's okay we know we're controlling your life well in, in the sense of we're giving you all the foundations of a healthy balanced diet making you kind of feel healthy and well but on top of that can we get you so you're performing optimally in training every day you're i don't know periodizing your carbs your meals you are in the gym and you have enough energy to kind of you know maybe push yourself in the gym as well as the protein afterwards to recover and there may be any supplements around that or certain ergogenic aids where we're trying to boost performance so there's one percent in match whether that's you know like caffeine or creatine and we can kind of take it on like layer by layer and we kind of take it up so if you think about the i don't know if you've seen like the nutrition pyramid which is almost like the base is always going to be your basics it's your human nutrition that is just get everything right in terms of what you're eating don't worry about all the fancy stuff get that right and then we can build up layer by layer to add on now your exercise great now your supplements etc so we're kind of get the basics right, build up. And all we're doing is rather than focusing on that bottom layer of the pyramid, we're just kind of taking it up to the top and we're just layering in all this new information as we go with the um, with the athletes. Yeah, so back onto that, you talked briefly about sort of the, the supplements, protein and creatine for like two just to name. Do you, obviously you work with all ages, so young kids up to the women's first team. Do you recommend protein supplements and creatine to those players or does it is it sort of individualized? It's um, when it comes to stuff like that, it, we it's it's always individualized so in in the sense of we every person is different, everyone's needs is different, so we'll always take that into consideration. But with something like protein, um, when they start coming full time with us as part of our academy setup, or where the women's are first, uh, their their first team is full time, they're in every day, then they're of that kind of sixteen year old plus, 
and their their aim is we know protein targets we're quite happy for them to hit we we, we encourage we want them to hit these high targets so we'll always have protein available to them from basically the age of 16 up it's something that we we will encourage um just as a source we'll always we're always a food a food first approach so we will always yeah that's it yeah so we, we will always try and get everyone to do it through whole foods and through whatever like what we can give them um or encourage them to have a home and take but there is always examples and times if we especially when we look like let's say 16 year olds who trade of an evening there's a there's a very busy schedule and there's a lot of time where you'll find between school then coming to trading then getting home to have dinner there is a lot of time where most kids around that age of like 15 16 they won't eat and when we think about protein it's something that we regularly need to keep having throughout the day so they're going this probably five six hour window with nothing potentially so let alone fueling up for training some of them we also are missing these probably two feeding windows for protein which is just eating into their current their current muscle so when we think about that these age groups are massive for growth this is where we normally see some you know peak height growth velocity sort of stuff going on they're kind of maturing and it's an optimal time to start building on that so this is something we don't want them doing so they're going the other way where they're really not sometimes maybe hitting enough in the day and we need them kind of going the other side where they're kind of getting the maximal amount to really make the most of all the adaptations that they can get from training in the gym I guess the next question would be, so obviously protein of sort of like a, a recovery meal, right? Obviously, you know, it kind of built, rebuilds your muscles, all that sort of gist. I'm not too nutritionalized and I'm not really educated like some of you boys, but I do know the basics. Obviously, after you train, you want to get some, some protein to kind of, you know, bring back what you lost. But um, kind of on game days, I was, I'm just curious, after games, do you recommend like, obviously you've kind of, I know personally me, I fast. Well, not fast, but I don't eat usually before a match day. Say I play at, at three o'clock. I wouldn't eat after maybe 10 or 11. Just personally, my own sort of choice. But like after the match, what are the things you kind of recommend to your players? Um, so there's a couple of ways there. Like, I know that that's what you do. And the first one on that, on that fueling. So we, well, what I always say is we aim to do our last kind of meal three, about three hours before kickoff. And... It's typically you you will get some boys who are like or some players in general who just genuinely don't like eating that much to close to kickoff. So it's it's one of those things, especially from a younger age, it's good to work with them to kind of build up that tolerance. Because um the big thing is that the gut is like you gotta treat it like a muscle in the sense of if you just go never doing it before and have a large meal, then go play within three hours, odds are it's not gonna sit too well with you. But if you can take your time with it, slowly build it up over like a good period of time, think of it just like you're doing some sort of training um, regime there and you're slowly building it up, build it up. But basically the gut tolerance gets stronger and your stomach can basically get better at absorbing all these uh, nutrients that it's taking in as well as allowing you to not feel that distress when you come into to playing. So ideally we want to kind of keep the fueling going as close to kickoff as possible because even when we get to kickoff, we've like an hour out, we still encourage, you know, bars as well um bananas drinks and stuff like that. these things to kind of keep the fuel topping up so they go into their game like a hundred percent fueled up ready to go so it's just one thing is that more so like those like fast oh sorry is that more like those um fast kind of fast absorbing sugars like your energy gels and sort of like your carbohydrates stuff like that 
yeah so so what we normally do is anything up to up to around you know like an hour and a half out it's you can have your bars still you can have like we always have like rice crispy squares or Belvita bars and neutral grain bars etc um but then once we get to that kind of less than an hour to kick off window it kind of switches to the fast digestion digesting sorry so that's like your energy gels haribo sweets um uh, sports drinks stuff like that anything that we can kind of quickly get into us which can rapidly get into the bloodstream because by that point we don't want anything going in through our stomach really to di digest we just want it to be able to easily get in without causing anything in our gut so yeah as we kind of like have that tapering period where it goes big meal more complex snacks but they're still not high fiber they're still low in fiber and then we get to that really fast di digesting just before kickoff basically and then um and then i was just thinking for some of the listeners who maybe aren't too even familiar with why i guess we kind of went on to the period periodization of timing and things like that just there but if we talk about the need for protein for just in individuals in general i think you, you briefly touched on even uh the importance of regular amounts of protein why do individuals I, in in every aspect of life, whether it's uh, sports, whether it's business, why is protein so important, and why do we actually need it as a main macronutrient? Yeah, um, I'll, I'll couple that with Ashley's like last last point as well. Actually, so when we think about protein, it's purely for it's for our muscles. So we we know like carbs are for fueling. Protein is is predominantly for our muscles and for that repair process. There are amino acids that allow kind of help other things happen in our bodies but if we think about the main process for it 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 can be um for those muscles so when we look at it throughout the day our muscles are constantly turning over so the best way i always describe it to to clients and to athletes is if you imagine you've got a building or a brick wall and then you've got two sets of workers one one set is building up that wall so they're there to to construct and the other side are to demolish it and break it down they're constantly working to like at the same time. So as soon as one one's doing one, the other's do the other. The only difference is the only time that they're building up is when we consume protein, because that's that's providing those workers to do that job. Whereas our body will always naturally keep breaking it down. They're always working twenty four seven. They'll just keep going. So if we stop consuming any protein, then we're constantly just breaking down muscle. It's, it's just the way our bodies work though it'll keep doing it it'll keep doing it over and over again so when we think about protein throughout the day we need to kind of keep giving it these random like hits throughout the day to, to keep these these workers going throughout throughout and therefore we stay in like a, a net protein balance which means we finish the day either on zero which means we've not lost we've not gained or we finish it in a positive state which means We've we've ended up with a bit more than we did yesterday. Yeah, that's it. So and, and that's all it is. So that that's why we do it. So if we think that on a graph is constantly doing that in terms of our protein through our muscles, sorry, throughout the day, then we need to keep giving it these spikes of protein, which means it'll keep doing this on on a chart. So we we have these regular feeding windows. So we try and say every every three hours or so to get a good hit of protein, a good hit of good quality protein. So, you know, 20 to 30 grams plus every three hours or so. 
and that way you're giving your body all these hits to make keep that maintenance because our body doesn't store protein so it's not like carbs where we can fuel up and be like okay cool I've, I've eaten so much and this can just sit and be saturated by my muscles and be ready to use when we have protein it's actually right take it in down to amino acids i'll absorb as much as i can at this moment in time but that's it once once that window's passed it's gone so that we, we we don't have anything left in that tank sort of thing to, to keep replenishing the muscle. So we need to wait for that next feeding opportunity to then get back into that positive. So that's roughly every three to four hours, which is why we say every three to four hours, good quality protein hit, 20 to 30 grams. And then that, that will keep your, your muscles like topped up throughout the day without going into that negative, negative balance. That's brilliant. I think that that um, like visual cue and... Um like perspective is it makes a lot of sense for anyone listening right now and i think val if you want to quickly go into what your thoughts about that are because val has a very similar um belief in that and i think that with with his knowledge you'll definitely want to uh, tap into that so val if you want to go on that one uh first of all i really really liked your analogy that you used with the workers i always simplify it for myself in terms of i uh, say protein is like the glue for our muscles which keeps it together after we have intense exercise we all know we always get micro um, tears whatsever because it's just normal we have an intense session or intense workout in the gym and our m muscle fibers um, get small little tears so I always say the, the protein is like the glue in order to keep it all together and make it stronger what I wanted to touch base on is uh, all the things you already mentioned in terms of youth athletes, uh, they have bigger periods of times where they may not consume anything, not even a snack, no carbs, no protein in general. I, I love that point because I have a similar perspective. I believe that if you have a tense training session, for example, or you have a busy day, first of all, school, then some time off and then maybe training in the afternoon. Most people maybe skip something or tend to go for an unhealthy choice or immediate craving they have. So they could have a, a negative impact for their long, long-term performance. Thank you, like that. I would also, <laughs> I would, uh, I would recommend from my personal perspective that you have always, uh, like being prepared is key. Always having a snack available, probably most efficiently a protein snack because you already said it. We try to top off the protein. I personally believe that we need to switch from prioritizing carbs more. Of course, athlete needs carbs in order for, to fuel, to perform, to gain energy from. But we need to take a more specific focus on getting those proteins in. But on that contrary, I have a... Here's, here comes my co uh, controversial perspective. I believe we consume too much protein per serving. For example, I will explain. Uh, let's say you already said we should try and split out over the, the entire day. I have the same perspective, but I believe at the moment, speaking from experience and from different examples, for example, my brother, he sometimes skips breakfast or has a quick, mus uh, a quick muesli uh, or some quick carbs whatsoever. So you've already lost a chance to consume some kind of protein in the morning. Second of all, if you have a big plate, you eat two or three meals a day and you consume all your protein in those one sittings, and you have 50 plus grams of protein per servings, you often get these digestive issues. Many people are maybe sensitive because the, the overload of protein is, is uh, too much. Maybe the body can handle it, but the digestive system and the metabolism needs to, need to try to tolerate. What I want to say is, what is your perspective on it? Do you, do you also believe that most people or even 
younger athletes don't have the education. They don't even know when should I consume protein, how much protein, uh, or should I, is, is it okay if I consume more protein than I actually need? Yeah, so I'll, I'll try and work through that there. So, so to start with, I think that I think the protein intake in general throughout throughout most people, including an adolescent young athletes, is is pretty good. They they do hit the good the targets. Um, I personally, I'm, I do set protein targets relatively high. It's always around two grams per kilo. Is 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 why I, I aim for, um, and that's why I propose to most only because that will cover maintenance as well as recovery on top of that um not including injury if we go into, into like injury states then we're looking at probably two and a half times per kilo just to try and maintain muscle mass whilst in that injured state um but i agree on the on the breakfast front i think that that is that's a youth athlete as well as as well as adult athletes do that too where it's it's always harder to i think find high protein options at breakfast and therefore, I feel like it's something that's easily skipped over. Um, and therefore, yeah, they'll, they'll often find this this window not being fulfilled first thing in the morning. And it won't be until, you know, that next feeding, maybe around lunchtime after training, that they actually get that first proper proper hit of protein. Um, which I think is something that is improving. And it's something that I, I push on a lot um, in terms of with, with the players I work with and the athletes I work with, that that morning the morning feed needs to be good enough with kind of it's a great place to kind of get that up that intake um in terms of like in terms of how it works and i think in the gut i think that when we one of the reasons we do it is not just obviously there's main muscle maintenance and muscle recovery are all big factors but we also look at satiety so the to how full it makes us so protein it takes a while for us to to know break down and metabolize so because of that it, it leaves us feeling really full for quite a long time so it's it's actually a really good source for that so it, it stops people from this maybe you've got some people who are a bit more prone to you know snacking and maybe not the greatest self-control sometimes and they need something to kind of help them whereas high protein diets are incredible for that and they'll just leave you so full that you're not going to want to eat anymore and it's a it's a good upside to it um again it's, it's like most things if, if you over consume Again, to overconsume a protein, lots of studies have shown is incredibly hard. And even then, the, the worst case is it, it leads to, to gut issues, like GI distress. Um, so I think it's one of those where building it up to that point of, I'd say, you know, two grams per kilo. So if you weigh 70 kilos, then we're looking at around 140 grams of protein in a day. And the key to it being split it up across all those all those hours of the day. So if we've got 140 grams there, we can easily split up over five, six different feedings across the day. And I think that's really important as well, as we often see like skewed distribution throughout the day with most people, where it will be the least at breakfast and then the most at dinner. And that dinner serving could be for some people who know 60 grams plus of protein. And we, I know we normally say, you know, 20, 30 grams plus because that's optimal, but that's more so because we know that's where we get we get the spike, we get the response that we want at, around that point. So that's great. Aim for that. But some people will be able to absorb probably majority of the 60 grams. That's because how their body works. They'll, they'll be able to do it. Others won't. But again, with this skewed distri distribution, if we find that 
in the mornings we're not really having much and we're having loads of it in the evening and it's only getting bigger and bigger each meal then yeah we might get some bit more discomfort in the evening if we're ramping it all the way up and getting loads in that last kind of six hours of the day so yeah i think that that's really important is to really spread it out and make sure we're not consuming you know massive amounts either all together with really minimal time between or make and just making sure that we kind of are allowing that that space between them as well as not going you know maybe too high with it too close together i think i think would be my my key points with that For, uh, and go uh, following up a question i think the biggest takeaway from here is uh, splitting up your protein intake throughout the day let's take for example a, a, a person or an athlete or, or a normal person who's fasting i think a good example is nick at the moment he's he's trying himself out with fasting and fat different fasting windows what would you would you recommend uh, for such a person who's fasting in, or, in order to cover their protein amounts as we just discussed we're trying to break the the protein intakes apart into different servings but for example if they only have small windows um what would your your take be on that yeah so i think uh, i think it's um it comes down to i guess one is how nick how, how long are the fasts for you so for me it depends um there's a bit of background on why i fast it's because I, I'm trying to get my body fat percent down and I have a history of eating disorder. So this is like the first ever strategy where I'm actually seeing progress. So for me, uh, my windows vary, but I typically stip, uh, stick to a 18-6, so six hour window. But on rest days, I try and do um, a one hour window, but that's just because I really like to challenge myself. But um, yeah, t typically a six hour window for most days. Wow. Yeah, so um, that uh, yeah, that that's the thing is I, I I'm all for I'm all for intermittent fasting. Like at, at times I will do it myself. Um, I think on a much again, everyone's different. Everyone will have different kind of uh, responses and things that they they find is they worked well as their new norm and how they can cope. Um, I regularly would say like a smaller window is is preferred. I think only up until like if you say night before is your last meal great and then you're sleeping through and maybe you go till i don't know late morning midday maybe that kind of 12 one o'clock is, is 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 probably fine as you're, you're still kind of utilizing it you, you've you've managed to kind of cut out at least one feeding opportunity which is enough to you know probably cut down i don't know five six hundred calories that's that's quite a good meal when we think about a good purpose for intermittent fasting um the only the only concern there i guess with the with a large a large what 18 hour plus a six hour window or even like a one hour window is if we're getting below you know like our bmr rate which is like our basal uh metabolic rate then that's just kind of like the base minimum that we kind of need just for our bodily functions let alone everything else then even if that was at the point of i don't know it was 50 1600 getting 15 600 calories of you know good quality sources as well and all the nutrients you need in that very small window will be particularly difficult as well as and again that kind of stressing on that point of of the nutrient side are like are we getting all the nutrients we need in all these foods as well enough again as we just touched on we're talking about protein if i said cool in that six hours you need to get 150 grams of protein in a in a six hour window odds are you, you're not going to be doing it that, that's it that's that especially in the down to a one hour window that's one meal 
So we've gone from maybe like two mils to one, and then even again, that's yeah, that's very extreme. So I'd say that's that's my main concern as to why I wouldn't I wouldn't recommend or push that. But that's that's my front, and again, I'm not saying anyone's wrong with that, but that's just from my point of view. That's that's my my point and my push. Um, but I'd say if you are going to do any sort of fasting, then let's say the night before is my big thing that I push to everyone, including myself, is a pre-bed snack. And that, I think, is so undervalued and underrated by many athletes and many people, where I think that if we can get a pre-bed snack in, so something hopefully that's dairy-based, ideally, as basically dairy is, most of it is casein protein rather than weight. So casein is slow digesting. So we get that that kind of hit and it comes up on our, as I was talking to you earlier about that protein turnover, it's that protein synthesis where we're building that muscle. So rather than coming up and going down like a normal complete protein would or a whey protein would, it takes us up and then it just stays for quite a long time. So that's normally if we have it before bed in this state of, you know, our body is going to do the most recovery whilst we're sleeping, but also we're not doing anything. We're just, we're just laying down. So really our body should go down and to start breaking down our, our muscles. But if we have this, it will just sustain us throughout the night until we get to that next feeding. So I would definitely recommend before any any kind of period of fasting you know whether that's just overnight up until midday sort of thing i recommend a really good quality dose of you know hit of of casein proteins like a dairy so whether that's milk whether that's greek yogurt anything like that to kind of give you a really good a really good um casein protein ingestion and then that'll that'll really kind of set you up well going into a long period of of not having any protein i think that's um a very interesting point um for two reasons i think First of all, for me, how I see with my fasting, it's a new strategy, but as I mentioned, it's the only way that I've actually seen progress in the past four years myself. So I'm a little bit messed up. So I think it's, unfortunately, it's um, a strategy that's working for me, but um, something that the boys know about, and I was even speaking to a friend just before about this, is um, my black and whiteness in uh, in aspect that comes to nutrition. I'm very black and white, um, and... For me, typically, the more complex I make it, the more off track I go, if that makes sense. So, for instance, at the moment, I'm pretty much only sticking, and I I know how ridiculous this is, but for me, it's working. So, I'm pretty much only eating lentils and carrots, which is ridiculous. I know it's ridiculous. But throughout the whole day, I've found that to get, a reasonable amount of protein. Actually, I'm also having protein powder um, from Val, which is um, his company, Sint. Um, so I also am getting my two servings of protein before and after training, which is good. Um, because that's also in my uh, fasting window. I, I try and have from 8am to 2pm. So before training and after training, I'm able to get my um, protein there. But then my lentils, I, I think that I get a reasonable amount of protein from my lentils and then I get a decent amount of carbs as well it's a very very boring meal like I'm literally having plain lentils um I know it's ridiculous but for me that's what's working at the moment and then I have some carrots for my vegetables um but as I said I know it's ridiculous and I know it's not a sustainable way of doing it but for me this is actually what's working and as I mentioned I've gone through so many different strategies working with numerous nutritionists i also am lactose intolerant 
which means that whenever I try and have, um, previously when I wasn't using Scent, which is Val's company, um, I would have digestion issues going into training with having protein powders. Now with Val, his protein powder, I don't have this issue because his protein powder, um, it, I, I don't react from his, his, his way isolate, which is amazing for me because I going into training because I would typically be having, you know, the, the dairy products, I, I would always be very bloated during training, but now this is an issue for me. And I feel like it's kind of allowed me to have a more bland diet that's worked for me. Um, but that's again, a very personal, um, kind of strategy of mine. We recently were speaking with the Brentford nutritionist, Ted, and he was also speaking about how uh, a, a misconception that I actually had was even how much protein we can consume in one serving. And we talked about how I actually thought that it was just a well-known fact that it's 30 grams of protein that you can observe per serving. And then even you mentioned then it's, it is individual again, but people can consume 60 grams per serving. You know, it's, it's the um, amounts of protein. And, and as Val said, you know, a good anecdote for consuming a lot of protein at once is myself because when I'm only eating one or two meals a day and then I've got the um, protein supplements in between, I am really just trying to force as much protein um, down as possible, which again, it's probably not the best strategy. But I think um, when you were talking about the, the snack before bed, I also found that really interesting because Val, Ash and I, we all use Whoop. I saw you've got the Apple Watch on, um, but I'm not too sure if you're familiar with Whoop, but basically we, we're able to track patterns and things like this uh, that benefit our recovery. And for me, intermittent fasting, I recently found out on my monthly review that intermittent fasting has actually improved my recovery by 15%, which is like actually crazy. So I've never even heard of something improving in recovery, recovery that much, but I think that it's due to my window of when I eat uh, food because obviously the closer you eat to bed, the more disturbed your sleep will be in terms of uh, digestion and things like that. Uh, I also wanted to know what, maybe Ash even wants to discuss this because I, I know that he has his own, um, not theory or opinion, but he has... Uh, a question where he wants to talk about the the dairy and the aspect of dairy and the digestion of it because Val and I we're both lactose intolerant. I think maybe I have a bit of a worse lactate uh, lactose intolerance because I have to have like low FODMAP and all that stuff. Um, but Ash, if you want to go into the area of um dairy and things like that, I know Ash has a few questions about that. Um, you talked about the dairy before bed. Now, these two, Nick and Val, obviously lactose intolerant. Um, what would you recommend before bed for those guys? And the second thing was, I guess, I saw this, I don't know if it's real or not, so you could probably help me out finding some truth in this, but I read this thing saying that, like, the ability to actually tolerate lactose is sort of a genetic mutation. Because we're not supposedly we're not supposed to consume dairy or lactose, um, but I honestly I'd love to get a nutritionist sort of advice or um, I guess say on this issue. This issue. So just quickly on that, Ash. Um, so what? Just to go into a bit of deeper context on that. So what I believe that theory is, it's that 
humans were evolved to uh, tolerate dairy products. If you think, I, I've heard some theories of people saying that dairy is maybe for our ancestors, it was like a poison. And over time, we started to all uh, adapt to a higher dose of dairy intake. And I think today, I think that everyone, I'm not too sure about this. Again, this is only from research that I've um, done myself, but we're own, I think everyone to a degree is lactose intolerant, which may lead into this uh, theory of people being not completely lactose intolerant today, but our ancestors maybe had uh, lactose, it was almost as a poison and over time we've adapted to tolerating lactose at a higher level. Is that, as, as Ash said, is this is this true? Is it not? And maybe what's another way that people like Val and myself could actually utilize the protein before bed? Yeah, so uh, I'll do my best with this one. Um, but the, so the first one on alternatives for both Val and Nick, both yourselves, um, when we can't have, if someone can't have dairy, then the next best option that we'll go to is, is soya as a, as a milk replacement. So I don't know if you ever tried soya milk, but when we look at the components of soya, it's the, basically the best plant-based version that is the closest to real dairy, like the closest to milk, um, in how it's made up. It's, it's not obviously not all the way there as a, as a complete protein, but it is the closest match and it's still significant. You can get a significant amount out of it. So when you look at, um, the amount of protein in, let's say 300 mil of each, milk will have more, but the soy milk will always actually have the highest of the plant base. And it's actually not that bad. Um, like potentially you can get up to like seven grams or so in a glass of milk. So it's great in that sense. And it will be the next best choice for doing that. So you might not get as, again, as long a, as long as a uh, promotion in the muscle protein synthesis, as you would with a casein source, but it's better than nothing. And it's only going to be positive for you. And it takes away all that that lactose um, element completely. Uh, so that would be my my best um, my best shout for you. And then on that second point, um, won't go into too much detail stuff that I'm not 100% on, but, I, but in terms of actual lactose, so the way we break down lactose is through enzymes that we all have. And so every everybody has different you know levels of enzymes and how responsive and how active they are. And that kind of develops up to some people's levels of sensitivity. So if some people don't have as many and they're not as, you know, they're not as good or they're not as uh, efficient, I guess the word, at, at, you know, breaking down this this protein. So um, so once this comes into it, then we need these enzymes to break down. So we've got lactase is, is the enzyme which will basically break down the lactose. And that will leave us with yeah, being able to absorb, process it. Great. The the less of that we have and the, the less the, the less efficient they are, then the more sensitive we're going to be to it because as it's going through our system, it's not getting broken down, which means it's kind of just being able to just pass through. And that's where we'll get, you know, GI distress, uh, we'll get stomach cramps, bloating, and then potentially on the worst side, you know, like where you feel ill, you feel like potential diarrhea, stuff like that. That that always is like a the, the latest effects of it. So in terms of in terms of that, it, it's more so a tolerance, as you say, like people are lactose intolerance. But it typically comes down to 
like most things, do we have this? Do we have the other thing that needs to control it? And and that's pretty much what we talk about with, with lactose is that do people have the, en- the enough of the enzymes required to break it down? If not, yeah, they're more along that either lactose intolerant because maybe they're not breaking it down at all or they're not very good at breaking it down, which allows a lot of it to pass through without being properly digested and and broken. Whereas if we're pretty good at it and we can and people those people who don't really get too much reaction is because their enzymes are probably they've got quite quite a lot and they're working pretty well and doing a good job of breaking it down before it hits the gut, which means we're not gonna get any of those or very limited on getting those um GI distresses. If that helps. Yeah, that definitely does. So obviously like um you got oat milk, right? So we know oats are a, pr- a very good source for breakfast in the morning. Would, how would that compare with soy milk? As if, like, so if I was to choose oat or soy purely based on taste, like that doesn't matter. The taste is irrelevant. Based on like nutritional benefits, is that still the better choice, soy milk? Um, I, I'd say I, I think it comes down to to what one, what your aim is, and and two, preference. I think it does because um, we know there's what there's soya, oat, pea, coconut. You know, yeah, you name it on. There's so many. And I, I think it, it does come down to that personal preference of taste, 100%. But all of them will provide different levels of different nutrients. So I suppose like macronutrients. So when we look at, as I said, if, we if we're focused purely on, you know, protein and getting the best source of protein without consuming milk, or maybe we have vegetarian or vegan athletes, then the next best thing to weigh or, you know, that complete protein is the highest level of protein in, in a plant-based source is is soya so that's why we look at okay so that would be the go-to if that's our aim we were looking at you know getting a high protein intake maybe we just want to maintain or build muscle recovery you name it but then we've got the ones like coconut milk almond milk which are very low in a lot of things they're not very nutrient dense and they're, they're not calorie dense either they're they're very light and they're a bit you know more on the water side i guess you say they're a bit like more of a liquid they're, they're not they're not thick and creamy they're just they're just there basically they do that part which is great is a as a taste that's it if, if people like like almond or coconut and they want that just just to taste nice then amazing cool that's great go for it there's not much protein in it or anything like that not much carbs not much fat you're not going to get too much out of it in that sense and then you look at the oats which oats are will have not a bad protein but not a high it would just kind of be, it's all right. It has higher carbs than the others because we look at where the source of what oats are. Oats are a good carbohydrate source. Um, and therefore that plays into into that role. But then that's a quite a thick and creamy uh, alternative for people that kind of want the next best thing to texture. So it does kind of come down to what's your goal? What texture do you like? What taste do you like? So I would honestly say with that sort of stuff, you can kind of go with what you prefer and what you like um, because there's definitely other ways i guess in your diet of getting of getting the sources for what you need if that makes sense yeah 100 100 nick did you want to say something there yeah with um i i believe that so i know quite a bit about like soy and soya chunks even i know that that's quite a good source of protein i believe it's quite a cheap source of protein um again with with me and the lentils the reason why i chose lentils is because the protein isn't too bad and then also it's quite cheap so you know, living in the college apartment and um, not actually being on a professional contract, but, um, you know, not living a luxurious life. Cheaper alternatives 
Uh, I believe that soya chunks are even quite cheap in themselves for just thinking about for ways that people can access protein. Because I know typically people associate the need of protein with being an expensive thing. Sometimes it, it it's not necessarily either. Um, but I, I believe that with soy, there may be some problems in uh, when you take it in abundance. Obviously, at the lower levels, you don't have uh, many problems. But I, I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, in the estrogen levels of soy products can have some negative effects for younger males or even all males. I, I'll, again, I'm not too sure, but... If you want to clarify any difficulties or problems that may arise from an overconsumption of soy products, is that is that true? Uh, yeah, no, that, 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 yeah, that's um, that's correct. So, if if we go through it's like overconsuming and too again too much of anything, we will will kind of have its negatives or its downsides. But yeah, with um with soy, it is it is um higher levels of estrogen. So when if we overconsume it to that point, then we may see it having that negative impact on our health performance through through that gateway um and that's so that's just basically just one of those things we try and be, be a bit more wary of um when we talk about you know really over consuming in in terms of we're having it you know mo like most meals and in very high dosage but if we have it you know typically in a, in a in a version of milk or once a day or we're having soybeans with with certain certain meals stuff like that it's it's relatively faith uh fine it's, it's harmless it's not gonna it's not gonna negatively affect you too much it's not it's more when we talk about these extreme amounts so we're kind of getting into to quite high intakes that it becomes you know a bit more of an issue just to go on to the last kind of topic of the uh side effects of not reaching our protein targets and what we see in footballers today i think that when we look at players like Riyad Mahrez, who are extremely, but well, obviously lean, but obviously also lack the the muscles that other footballers have. So if, if we look at Ronaldo, even maybe critiquing him and saying maybe he is too muscular. Uh, I have a friend who is a professional footballer who I would say is one of the most muscular players that I've ever seen in my life, or almost comparable to a much leaner version of Akin Fenwap. And I think that that negatively, yeah, yeah that I'd say that actually negatively affects him, and uh, he's a goalkeeper. So for him having too much muscle, the contraction of uh, and a full extension of an arm can be limited because of uh, too much muscle. And I think that it's almost he's done too good of a job with his nutrition and physical adaptation to where maybe it's a hindrance. So if if we want to talk about the negative side effects of not hitting your protein intakes where maybe you are i wouldn't say necessarily under fueling because you could be fueled quite well in terms of carbohydrate aspect but the people who maybe may i think as footballers as you were saying it is very um important for footballers to rebuild that wall because we are constantly breaking that wall down and for those people maybe like Riyad Mahrez, maybe he was just constantly knocking that wall down and he didn't give his, his uh, muscles and his body the time to repair with protein or adequate rest. But the the negative side effects of not hitting the protein intake, is that something that as, as humans, I guess, not just even footballers, is that something that we really do need to take into more consideration? Um, yeah, I, I think so. I think that it's something that everyone should be just aware of in that 
on how important protein is and the distribution of protein throughout the day and the amounts that we can actually withstand and take and how people should be encouraged to have that across the day. Um, but yeah, I think that if we if we aren't hitting it right on a regular basis and we're just allowing this this constant protein breakdown to occur, then yeah, we're going to see we're going to see a drop in you know muscle size. Obviously, is is the obvious one that everyone thinks of. You're not going to you're not going to have as much muscle mass. But I think it's also important to remember that along with everything that comes along with that. So with that muscle wastage, you're then losing strength, which is a which is a key factor, which then will knock on if we talk about a performance issue here. It's speed, it's power, it's everything to do with jumping, etc. All these factors will also decrease, which is what we need to consider. And then as well as that, if we look talk about the, day, the everyday person, it could just be simple tasks in, in terms of with just wasting away muscle. It could be something as simple as, you know, wanting to go for a walk daily or just trying to go up a, a steeper hill than usual or the usual hill that they used to do and they go back and do it and they struggle with it. It's, it's we're just talk, talking about mu- muscle maintenance or just having some form of a strong like muscle mass on us is so important for just doing everyday movements. And I think that this often gets forgotten about, especially like as people get older and go more towards like the elderly where they could actually benefit from probably greater intakes of protein because their rate of breakdown is higher. They don't move as much. There's a lot more wastes going on. They probably eat less in total in terms of total energy. So when we think about all these factors, there's different populations. That I think that definitely need more and that, that includes like the elderly sporting populations, etc., as well as like adolescents growing. Um, but I think just for that, we're coming back to that performance, that performance uh, perspective. It's really important that we hit these targets and we kind of have this daily net, net positive net balance of, of muscle maintenance or muscle synthesis happening because we don't want to see people getting weaker, stronger, sorry, weaker, um, reducing, reducing power, reducing uh, explosiveness, sprint speed, dropping acceleration, because these are going to end up on the pitch that they're, they're going to become evident and they're going to obviously be detrimental to performance. Um, I do think it's worth saying as well, like it, it's not always the most comparable. I think you see, you look at some people who maybe don't have the largest of muscles, but they will still, they can still be strong. Cause I think that there's, it's often people mistake it as, oh, the larger the muscle, the stronger the person when yes, in theory, most of the time that will be the case. That will be their strength. That person's strength will correlate with their muscle size, but not everyone because if someone's sole gain, if we look at like a lot, you see a lot of bodybuilders and stuff like that. Where, yes, physique-wise, they might be very large. They might be very, like, very high um, levels of lean muscle mass, but they might not have the strength of the everyday person who goes to the gym every day to train specifically for strength, but not size. So when they go for size, yes, we get increase in muscle fibers, which is what we're trying to do. We're trying to increase the number of muscle fibers. We will get some strength gains from that, but it doesn't mean we're we're not targeting strength. So we're not solely trying to improve our strength. So we'll get some, but we're not getting the max that we could be getting out of that. Whereas if we get someone who, sorry, go on. <laughs> That's right. Um, no, yeah. So and then with that, if we have someone who is pushing on strength and solely focused on strength, that they might have less muscle mass. So they have less fibers, but at the same time, in terms of strength, we're just it's just how many fibers can you recruit for the job you're trying to do? And that's where the strength comes in. So if they can maximize, you know, 
nearly all of their fibers, they're going to be stronger than someone with more fibers, but can't activate half of them. As a, as a rough example there. And then we, um, we look at power and we look at, okay, that is how quickly can you recruit as many fibers as possible. And that gives you your explosiveness, your speed, your jumping, everything that needs to be very, very quick and active. And then they, and that comes down to a clear difference. So if you're training specifically for power, then you're training for that purpose. So I think whilst body types are, are definitely a factor, you would, you'll definitely see a lot that they're kind of, these norms are there for a reason. There's always going to be outliers and where other, some people may look on a pitch, they say, as, oh, do you know what? They're, they're really lean, not much to them. But in terms of holding their own and physically, they're probably very good. And we look at it and say, example, like Mares, it's his speed is great. He's got lots of speeds. He's clearly a very explosive player. And we know that, which means that he's clearly got a good level of muscle mass for him. That is also very good at recruiting this vibe. And so I think it's also important to remember like context in it as well, in terms of position and how that person wants to play and feel, because that, that will always just like kind of dictate the makeup and, and how the training and nutrition should then impact them going forwards. What do they need to tweak? What do they need to change? Or are they happy with where they are? Oh, just, um, just a little thing about the, um, you said the bodybuilder and the sort of power. So. I, I, um, I go to a local gym here near where I live. It's a powerlifting gym and we've got like everyone, we've got like bodybuilders, you have an athletes as well, powerlifters. Um, I've noticed like a huge difference. There's a lot of bodybuilders and the bodybuilders are actually quite weak for how they look. Like they might be like 80, 90 kilos. They'll look great, but I know someone that'll be like around the same body weight and will just be absolutely like killing them and everything. And that's just from a power perspective. You said like they may look good, but they might not be strong. So that was just the only thing I could kind of say about tying it back there. I also just to add on that, I've um, heard of even Chris Bonstead, who is f very famous for being, you know, Mr. Olympia. Um, I've heard that even his his big lifts, obviously being with the physique that he's got, is it, 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 it's crazy. Um, but even just dated, not day-to-day -day gym goers, but people who are, you know, dedicated to the gym enough, just standard bodybuilders who maybe don't compete. I've heard that even they are quite out, outlift him quite heavily. And I think that's even surprising. So just to your point before with, uh, it is kind of relative to each person and different people train for different reasons. And it doesn't necessarily relate physically to what we see, but, it is very personal and respective to also an individual's goal. So for this example, uh, for the footballers, I think that we do want strength, we do want explosiveness, we do want power. But you might not look at a footballer and think that, you know, they have the physique of a bodybuilder, but they might be lifting the same and they probably shouldn't have the physique of a bodybuilder because if you look at a bodybuilder trying to run, their range of motion is completely different to a footballer and a footballer needs to be quite mobile and agile and these things don't uh, correlate too, too well. Well, I think that's a little bit uh, off topic um, from the main focus, but I think, Valis, do you have any more questions before we start to wrap it up? I think that'll be good just to touch on. Um, one small question I have, because we've touched base on dairy and lactose intolerance uh, for, for, on a personal uh, perspective or question 
Uh, do you face or work with a lot of athletes in the women's team or the younger ages where people have um, lactose intolerances, which, yeah, that's my question. Um, do you know what, in terms of that, it's, it's more so, yeah, we'll have some, I guess, who, in terms of my own practice as well and people I work with, it's, it's more people who will report, you know, sensitivities. And it, it's it's more of an understanding of they know certain foods that may that maybe react worse than others. Some things they they're quite happy to take, and they're like, "Oh, I get no reaction." Some things, and that's, that's dairy, and then the other dairy products they'll take where it might it might not grieve them, and it doesn't feel leave them feeling too well. Um, so it's more about again, you spoke about the FODMAP earlier and stuff like that. So if it's one of those where people growing up habitually having certain foods and they know something sit with them even though it's dairy but they think that oh certain dairies set them off then it's also being like oh that that's fine i know that these always sit well with me they never upset me therefore i'm not going to exclude them from my diet just because they're dairy and it's kind of keeping them in but anything that you kind of have isolated as a potential problem or something that's potentially causing you distress then then by all means like if it's not kind of helping you and it's only giving you a negative negative effect then We'll, we'll kind of try and take that out of the equation. Let's find an alternative or something that you might like that can try and give you a similar benefit. Um, that'll always be the front on that. Um, I think another good point on around intolerance sensitivities or even dietary requirements is probably like vegetarian and vegan um, and vegan athletes and people in general. Um, especially talking about protein, as I feel like a lot of people in general have this misconception that if you're vegan or vegetarian, you can't hit protein intakes because it has to be done through meat or dairy, as we've been talking about, or fish. And therefore, sometimes they feel quite excluded from it or they feel like, oh, there's there's no point because I can't do it anyway. Whereas I think that there's a really key bit of education there to kind of help people is that you can, you can do it. There's, As you say, you, you've chosen, Nick, you've chosen lentils. They're, they're a very good source of protein. As well as, as we talk about soya beans, again, another good source of protein. Like there's, there's, although it's a lot lower than let's say a chicken breast, which we can talk 20, 30 grams plus in that one solid portion. But if we start spreading it across all different vegetables and all, and all different things, then we're going to accumulate that protein across, across a meal. So the biggest thing we, like when I work with, you know, vegetarian, vegan athletes, it is you want, yes it's going to be a bit harder for you but it's definitely not impossible so we look at including as many different vegetables on a plate or in a meal as possible however we do that like that could be simple as you know smoothies which include different vegetables fruits nuts stuff like that we can kind of really gather through if, if they want something like that or if they do want a, a proper meal then it is just kind of include as many different ones as you can as as we say like if if we have you know, five, six different types of vegetables, but each portion of those vegetables is ranging from three to six grams of protein across the board, then yes, it's not much for that one that one item, but when we add all five or six up, then we're pushing up to 20 grams, maybe more. So it just means we've just got to make the, the most of each meal and have it really diverse, really um, varied and really colorful and just try and, and try and get it through all these other sources. But it also means that these meals are also very nutrient dense as well. So they are. We know that through that we get they're getting a lot of lots of the nutrients they need, and we're ensuring there's no 
any uh, nutrient deficiencies occurring as well as being able to also hit calorie goals through our energy intake so yeah it's, it's one of those things i think that's definitely important to press on that protein targets can definitely be here even even if you have certain dietary requirements yeah yeah definitely i think um it's a, a, a common misconception for a lot of people i believe would be that you know you do have to be eating all of your meats and whatnot to hit your protein targets but um, I, I, I know from a personal experience myself, I mean, not that I track calories anymore because that was a bit problematic for me, but I just doing a few estimates in my head. I know that I'm not completely under the need of my protein, maybe hitting it every day, but I'm definitely not far off because I'm able to, you know, have, uh, my sin protein powder before and after training, which helps me. And then with my lentils as well, I'm able to get a fair amount um through that but with um that kind of leading towards uh the last question for you uh on the sculpted podcast we just want to ask you what are three ways that you sculpt yourself on a daily basis or three practices or principles that you try and ingrain into your athletes or people who you help on a daily basis to sculpt themselves to become the best version of themselves yeah it's a good question um but personally, I think it's quite on topic. On topic, I think that I, again, everyone's different. Um, but it's also I think it's finding routine in in what you're doing always helps it helps your body find a routine. So for me, like nutritionally as well, um, I think it helps the people I work with as well as myself. Um, again, that's tying in everything. That's the time from how I start the day to how I finish the day. Like I said, like pre bed snack, great. I've set myself up well for the night. As well as you know, protein hits throughout the day. I always try and get it every three to four hours, and try and try and be quite strict on that to make sure. Especially knowing I'm I'm very I'm very active. Um, I think tying in another way I sculpt myself would probably be with what I like to do and how I like to keep active. So I, I run a lot each week. Um, it's probably one of my my happiest times of the week is when I get to go out. I get to put the headphones in and just kind of just go run for. a I try and plan it a little bit, but it's it's kind of just what I feel like on that day. But yeah, again, if, if I'm running, you know, four to six times a week, then then that's great. But I also take that into account into right. How's my how's my days looking around that in terms of my nutrition and my fueling right, my recovering right. Um, so I think that's really important. Doing something that's kind of that stress reliever as well as gets you physically moving and makes you feel and gets gets your heart rate up and you know feeling good. Um. And then on that final, final note, I'd say, I'd say adherence, but I'd say the way to achieve adherence is through why basically always try and preach, which is it has to be enjoyable for someone to want to adhere to it and keep doing it. So it's all well and good me just saying facts or figures to someone. But if I don't tie that into how it benefits them as a public, them individually as a person, how does it suit their lifestyle, their life, their goal? Does it does it fit their their motivation, which is going to drive them to want to do it themselves? Then, because if it doesn't tick those boxes, then it's absolutely pointless. Because I can tell them it, get them to do it whilst I'm there for one day, but they're never going to carry carry it on themselves. I think that's really important. Is lots of people will jump on you know fad diets and stuff like that, which is it's never sustainable. It's never going to really support you rather than making healthy daily habits and building a, a routine up of this. Um, so I think that 
finding that adherence and keeping it enjoyable. So if you don't like the gym, then why are you going to the gym sort of thing like that? Like that's not going to be the thing that that helps you. But if you know you really like a sport or something like that, and you you're like, oh, but I'll do that because it doesn't feel like I'm exercising, I'm enjoying it. There you go. That's that's your key. That's that's your goal to to get moving more. So I think it's definitely that third one is just keep it enjoyable. Keep make sure you're doing everything that you want to be doing because the moment that it feels like a chore or you feel like you don't want to be doing it, then you're not going to be sticking to it and you're not going to be motivated enough to, to keep going with it. Yeah, I think um, touching on that last point, something that we uh, talk about quite a bit is the flywheel effect and what I refer to as momentum, but we're going to do an episode about the flywheel effect and having that momentum through uh, tough times where, you know, as you mentioned, if you're not doing something that you love to... For football, for an, for an example, I mean, I don't love training. That's that's a, that's an unfortunate fact for me, for at least. Um, I never really had even a love for football. Again, I'm a little bit crazy up here sometimes, but um, I still do it, but I, I do it more than anyone else. And I think that, uh, that that comes through a love of being in that momentum and being in that flywheel. And I think that trying to find that, that peak level of arousal where you can continue doing something, that actually... Like for me, for example, uh, the one reason why I think that I've been able to stick to my intermittent fasting is because I love suffering for some reason. Like I love, I love sticking to the, the, the very boring lentil diet because previously I've always been doing too much. I've been trying to get my protein in throughout the day so many times that I've been obsessing over that too much, but I've found success through suffering on this very, very boring diet. And that's actually, weirdly enough, again, something up here, something's all right, I think, but um, it's, it was actually helped me keep going. And it's, as we've, as we've said this whole time, it is completely individual to who you are and what works. But I think, um, that's a perfect way to kind of wrap it up and, um, finding out the, the importance of protein and I guess reiterating the importance of individualization, because I think that it does vary from person to person, even talking about different strategies of, uh, for Val and myself, you know, looking at different alternatives to going, um, having that that snack before bed it's it is always very individual and trying to find that uh that that right strategy for yourself i think that there's power in that because you know the people who are listening right now we haven't give them we haven't given given them a necessarily an action sheet to follow through because that won't work for everyone and that's that's the reality of nutrition that's the reality of individuals and how we are programmed to work so it is where what we're trying to do is provide you guys listening with as much information as possible so that you can take away the best bits that work for you and what don't work for you and the only way you can find out what works for you and what doesn't is by failing which is actually what our last episode was about so i encourage everyone who's listening now to take action and take notes from this episode and what Reese has talked about, because there's a lot of knowledge in here. Obviously, Reese has—he's been working at the top level, and we all can learn from everyone's situation, everyone's anecdotes. And Reese, we really appreciate your time today uh, joining the Sculpted Podcast. It was an absolute honor for us, and we really enjoyed uh, your your wisdom and your time today to help all of our listeners and obviously help ourselves as well. Because you know, the three co-hosts here—we we live by Sculpted. We always want to sculpt ourselves every single day, and even just the hour that we've, the hour 15 that we've had together today, it's really been brilliant for all of us to even just make ourselves 1% better today. So again, we really appreciate your time and yeah, thank you so much. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me on guys. It's been great.